Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Demcast Network. I'm Kimberly Johnson, quarantined in D.C. Today, writer, pastor, and activist John Pavlovitz is back. And if you don't follow him on Twitter, you're really missing out. Um, he's, he's, as I said, a pastor, and I'm not a religious person, but I absolutely adore him because he has such a common sense message, and he's, he's compassionate, and he's smart, and he's down to earth, and he just has this way of distilling the issues to get to right of the human part of it. It's not about religion. It's not about politics. It's just about being a human and being a good human. So um, I'm really excited that he's back, and I'm, I'm looking forward to our conversation. I'm just going to be real brief before I get into the, uh, the show pitch. <laughs> uh, I think I mentioned last Wednesday that my senior kitty, Miranda, has dementia. So I am treating her with that. And every day is, is going to be different. And I'm not exactly sure, you know, what's going to happen because dementia isn't something you can't cure. It's just something that's going to get worse over time. I'm treating her right now with CBD and it seems to be helping. I'm giving her a little bit more than I gave her when she was experiencing constipation and bowel blockage. But um, I think I'm, I'm finding the happy medium for now. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just going through it. And then the other thing, I, um, I'm not sure, I mentioned this at the end of the conversation with John, but uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to be taking a break on, I think it's like the week before the 4th of July, which falls on a Saturday. I'm not sure about that, but I, I'm going to need to take a break um, because, as you know, it's hard to, you know, like just stay in this. And I want to do some things like just silly things like cleaning out my closet and, and giving like a spring cleaning to my place. And it's, it's weird because I used to be such a sloppy kid, but cleaning is for me anymore. It's kind of like this therapy. I turn on the music and I dance around and I feel like cleaning is, is this, like I'm cleaning out my life and it's it's just making my life feel clean more than just my living space. So I'm not exactly sure. I'll keep you guys posted on what I'm going to do. But anyway, um, let's just get into the fact that the Start Me Up podcast is independent and it's, it's supported by you, the listeners. And it's also woman run. <laughs> Hello. Uh, I have no corporate backers and I don't use advertisers. Not at this point. So patrons are what keeps the show going. And I'm always always incredibly grateful for people who support this show. If you like today's show, just consider checking out the, the about page and see some of the past guests that I've had on. I've interviewed all kinds of people as, you know, like political people, amazing actors. And when I interview actors, sometimes it's a combination of politics and their craft. Sometimes it's not like I interviewed Vincent D'Onofrio. And for the most part, we just talked about his craft. Um, I interviewed Kirk Acevedo and we talked about both. So politics and acting. So, you know, same with his wife, Kirsten Warren, and talked to Kirsten, uh, Kristen Johnston. So I have a variety of different people that I interview. And here's the deal. You could just like say, sign up for two bucks a month. That's going to get you every single free show delivered to your email box. And okay, so I have the $5 tier. If you sign up for the $5 tier, you get two patrons only shows per month. That's where it's usually me and Steph Walton, who uh, if you're not familiar with who she is, she's been a regular on the show. She used to be my co-host, but now she's running for city council. So uh, she's on either uh, like maybe one free show a month and then the two free patrons only shows. But anyway, we're really, really good friends. We're on the same page politically and we, you know, we still talk about the obvious stuff like politics and stuff, but we get more personal on the patrons only shows. Occasionally I'll be doing solo shows, but if you're signed up for two, anywhere from one to $4, you get one. That's a, if you become a patron for a dollar or $4 a month, then you get one patrons only show. If you sign up for the $5 tier, then you get both patrons only shows. And that's starting in July. This month, you'll get both for free or for $1 or more. Hope I was clear on that. <laughs> All you need to do is visit patreon.com slash start me up. You can see all the tiers. Uh, you know, you could just, you can also, if you want to make a one-time donation, you go to the um, text of the show in the Patreon description. I include my email address and you can do a PayPal thing. And last, uh, you can find Start Me Up on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. 
So please stop by iTunes or Apple Podcasts and become a subscriber. And it's free, 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 free. And while you're there, please rate the show and leave a review. Imagine me in my begging position now. Please, I could really use it. And I always appreciate every new rating and every review I get. I just, I love it. So that's it. I am ready now to talk to John Pavlovitz. Please enjoy our conversation. Welcome back to the show, John. It, it's so good to be back. It's, it's been a while since we've talked yeah, like this. It has. It has. The last time you were here, Steph uh, was here. She was. She used. She and I used to do interviews together. But uh, she's running for city council in Oakland, so um, <sighs> she's got some other things on her plate, and I'm kind of just taking over. But we do. We still do shows together. But um, it's it's a little bit more difficult to get three people on uh, because now my boyfriend used to be the producer of this show and he's more technologically advanced than i am so okay. <laughs> i can do two people um so you know god you're just such a great guy i mean you're great to follow on twitter i know Kristen johnston absolutely adores you mm. and um I just want to start by saying, and I probably said this the last time you were on the show, but I'm not a religious person. I consider myself, you know, it sounds so cliche and lame, but I am spiritual. I I believe in God. I believe in, and and maybe what I believe in God is different than how someone else sees God. But I think the overall thing is that what I see it is there's just, there's an intelligence and that there's a love and that there's an energy um, in, in our experience. And, you know, I, I feel like, that's why there's such things as morals and, you know, understanding morality. And so where you're coming from, you, you're such an open-minded man and it's like, you're just so fair and it's so, it's so appreciated. I mean, obviously we all know that not, not everybody's a hypocritical evangelical and um, you know what I mean? But, but that's, that's what we think of so often when we hear religion anymore, because we're bombarded with this hypocrisy hypocrisy for people who are using religion and you know I mean some people out there whether they're atheists or whether they're just not interested in it that's fine you don't have to be but I think it's like if if someone chooses you know if they're Catholic if they're Jewish or whatever I feel like as long as you're not being hypocrite and not trying to force me into it then what whatever works for you to make you feel grounded and and peaceful and, and it's like you found this really wonderful kind of way of 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 doing that and and being like I said not hypocritical but but just you're like a calming voice and so for that I want to thank, thank you, you. I, I really want to thank you um, well I you know I appreciate that and it's you know doing this work it, it, as a person of faith but that faith has shifted yeah. all throughout my life and at times you know I considered myself a hopeful agnostic mm-hmm. and then you know deeply Christian person and sometimes you know atheist but for me it, it always is is the result of my life helping humanity. And so whether I claim faith or not, um, I think people resonate with your efforts to, you know, make the planet actually more loving and compassionate. However yeah. you package that, however the lens through which you view the world, uh, I think that's why people kind of come together around the writing as a hub. And it's been a real gift to just see that happening. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're and you're you're like the example. You're you're the perfect example. But I want to before we get into some of the day's events and things like that, I just want to briefly go over your history because you are a, a progressive pastor. And from my understanding, you were raised Catholic. But you went to call when you went to college. There was like a diverse group of people, whether they were people of different colors, gay people, people from different cultures. And then I read that your brother came out as gay, and that initially you had before that you had a vague discomfort with gay people. But I think he helped change your perspective. And if I'm wrong or if I'm right, can you just like elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. No. Well, actually, Philadelphia, yeah, was was revelatory for me. It was transformative in that I got with a whole group of people who kind of expanded my idea of, of humanity because, you know, like many people, I was raised in the place where I was raised. And so I was only around people maybe who looked and talked and thought and believed and loved and worshiped the way that I did. And there's a, there's a story that you start to tell yourself when that happens, especially being raised in the church, you, you no longer can see outside of that story. And so I just got to Philadelphia and I just got better stories about people. And for me, that's where the LGBTQ sort of, um, mindset changed it wasn't it was really I just believed what I thought I was supposed to believe and then as I say all 
the time, you know, life began to argue with my theology. And I met a gay couple who was running a catering company that I started to work for, not realizing that they were gay and that most of the staff was. And only in looking back three or four months, you know, after I took the job and then said, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this. And realizing three or four months earlier, if I had known that, I wouldn't have taken that job. Wow. Because I was in such a fear mindset. But now at this point, I love these guys. These right. were They were family. And so I decided after that day, you know, I was never going to settle for these false stories about people over sexuality or nation of origin or race or all those things. And then it was only later that I found out that my, my brother was gay. So that was just sort of hmm. more confirmation that, hey, yeah, this is the better path. I mean, loving people, you know, effusively is always going to be the, the better path. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what? I just have to say, I, I realized my mic was off, so I think you're going to still be able to hear me in the beginning. But just in case anybody n- notices some weird sound difference, I just fixed it. Um, anyway, <laughs> so, sorry to sorry to uh, go off topic there. But, no worries. Um, you know when I remember, it's so funny when when I was like nine years old, my mom and I had moved, or I actually I think I was ten years old. My mom had moved us to California, and she got a roommate. And I remember it was so funny because we were living in this apartment, and she was interviewing this guy, and and I was in for some reason I was in the hall closet, or it was actually a closet off the living room, and it was right where they were talking. So it was a little awkward that I was in there, but it was this huge walk-in closet, and I was listening to them talking, and so uh, I you know my mom was like they were going over, oh well you know. The, I'm this way and I'm this way. And so the man that she was talking to said, well, I hope you don't mind that I'm gay. And I remember mm-hmm. as a 10 year old little girl who was raised by a very progressive mother. And, um, you know, it's not like I was raised in any kind of conservative house or anything like that, but I yeah. heard that. And I, I literally froze in my tracks like, Oh, you know, and then actually he wound up becoming a roommate and I had a wonderful experience with him. He, I believe he was a, I, I was 10, so I'm going back in memory here, but I believe he was a speech therapist and he was one of the coolest people ever. And not only did he, like he recognized, I think that um, be, I, he did not want to impose his lifestyle on me, which frankly, I didn't care. You know, once I got over the initial, oh my God, um, I was like, I didn't care. But he never, like, brought any dates home. He never brought his personal life into, you know, what, like, his personal dating life into our home. And I I look back, and my experience with him was so wonderful, and I'm so appreciative of it, because, like, he just showed me that he was a beautiful person. And that that was all. I mean, I knew he was gay, but I just didn't care. And I just, and I I feel very fortunate, and I, I know that it thankfully today we had and I want to talk about what you tweeted but it's like think thankfully the Supreme Court decided that uh, I guess existing federal law says you can't discriminate but what uh, against uh, LGBT people trans and yeah uh, trans and gay people so you tweeted we had to go to the highest court in the nation to reiterate uh, that who you are and who you love shouldn't be a penalty. Grateful for the ruling, but embarrassed for our LGBTQ loved ones who have even had to make a legal appeal over what should simply be the de- the decent thing. And it's like, why why is that? Why is there so much free- fear attached to this? Well, and and the part about that that always gets me is that the 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 pushback is coming strictly, almost strictly from people who claim faith. And it's just such a ridiculous idea that you've got this love your neighbor as yourself sort of mantra at the heart of your religion, supposedly. And then everything you do testifies that you will not love those people as you desire to be loved and to be considered. And that's the saddest part. You know, what you were talking about with the people that you started to get to know is that most Christians, they shrink their lives down. And so they edit out all these people for different reasons Mm -hmm. that could expand their their understanding of humanity and could really just be decent people to live alongside. And so they do that with the church, too. They they edit out all these, you know, beautiful minds and thoughts and gifts and relationships. And that's the 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 despair that I have is just seeing how small these people are that those are the battles that they fight that they would actually go out of their way to make it more difficult for someone to have the things that they have without even thinking about it yeah absolutely and it's like um and you even said the bible doesn't say that being gay is a sin 
Right. I mean, that's one of the greatest myths that Christians who feel that way perpetuate, because I think that that makes an easy little tagline that they can say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to pass the buck to God for my prejudice. I'm not going to have to do any work. I'm not going to have to actually read the Bible and understand what it said or what it was meant to say, or even how we should be using it right now. I can just say, okay, give me the shorthand version that allows me to still hold on to my bias against people for absolutely no reason. And so it's, you see that a lot with Trumpism. It's Mm -hmm. just, I want an excuse to be horrible and I'm going to, if I can be God, that's great. Wow. And then that, that whole BS, um, photo op where he was holding the Bible upside down. And, and you know, the thing, the thing that made me laugh about that is that people on Twitter were saying like, if you hold the Bible upside down, it means the Antichrist or something. Exactly. And it's yeah. Like, you know, the Bible was just uh, standing in for humanity saying you're, uh, everything is upside down with this guy. Yes. And, and that's the ridiculous thing. You know, the whole idea that you're supposedly standing there um, perpetuating a faith that is mm-hmm. based on peacemaking and loving and forgiving and here is this you know you're you're pepper spraying people to push them out of the way to show them how much you love a god who you don't really have any interest in it's just so bizarre that and the fact that there could be people fooled into that you know my my 10 year old looked at that video and said that's ridiculous Mm -hmm. but yet there are grown adults who will believe the lie because it's what they need they need that narrative to be true about him yeah it's just really scary to me. It's just, I don't understand. I mean, so I guess basically the only reason the evangelical community stands behind him is because of the abortion debate. I don't know whether any other reason, or at least it's the abortion debate as well as getting those judges in, um, those conservative judges. I, I can't see any other reason. Well, the, yeah, so those things, it's, it's a sort of a toxic cocktail. You've got the white supremacy mixed in there. Yes. You've got the self-preservation of, of white people that the church is really the, you know, the Christian right. That's been their bread and butter for a long time. And so, you know, Trump just gives them all the words that they just take those words on the surface. And yeah. then they say, okay, you know, the, one of the most brilliant things Trump did or when the campaign put him on the platform at Liberty university mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and it was, it was as if for Christians, that was enough, you know, his life and his words and everything he'd done and everything he's about, they could ignore that because there he was standing on a Christian stage wow. and then they, they signed off. And so that's the, the power of the mythology and the power of imagery. And so that's why people can watch him stand in front of a church with a Bible that he's never read and just say, oh, look at how Christian he is. Yeah. Um, that, that self-preservation's something. It's, it's quite a drug. It really is. It's just unbelievable to me. It's like they just, they see what they want. I guess that's what it's about. They just see what they want to see and they go along with that. And actually, speaking of that, um, you, you're writing something and you're talking about something right now that is... I agree with it 100%, and it's incredibly frustrating. And, and the, the, the basics is you can't wish away a pandemic. And, right. Um, I'm, you know, I've got people in my family who are acting like it's, it's over. <laughs> right. Maybe they're taking a little bit of precaution. Maybe they're having to wear a mask at the grocery store. Maybe, you know, they recognize that the pandemic is still out there. But I don't know what's going on. Um, w- the rationalizing and the justification, I don't understand. Like, is it, do you think it's just born out of selfishness or boredom or what is it? Oh, I think it's born out of largely the fact that this all began with Trump denying it existed and, mm-hmm. you know, repeating the lie and repeating that was overblown. And so when all those things began to erode, it's, it's almost as if now to go out and, and to actually wear a mask, for example, would be to say, you know, Trump was wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's like this house of cards that they, if he's wrong about that, he might be wrong about this. It's almost as if they're so invested in mm-hmm. him as an entity that they will just disregard facts and reality and science. And that's that's where we are. I think it's I think it's a political statement. It's saying that I, I'm this is the horse I'm riding with. And if hundreds of thousands of people have to die, I'll retrofit the story afterward. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm seeing it definitely on the right, but I'm seeing people on the left. Uh, Unfortunately, there was an incident um, where I I had been friendly with someone who I consider more of an ally than a friend, but, Mm. um, you know, who was basically coming down on people who were tweeting about wearing a mask and and then actually wound up defriending me because 
I thought, you know, I mean, I guess the comment that I made was that people were being selfish on Memorial Day when they all, you know, mm. whether it was shoulder to shoulder at a um, a boardwalk or that pool scene, which actually they're saying there are not a lot of deaths coming out from I me mean, or at least cases coming from that. So I don't know what happened in that pool. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> yeah. all the urine that, killed the COVID. That urine's a magic elixir. <laughs> Standing in a pool of urine. Um but it's it's I'm seeing, too, there are liberal people who are just, you know, it's kind of like the idea. There, there was an article that I, I have a, a relative who's disabled. And so she, she put up, posted this article that said something that it's very upsetting to see people justifying, say, you know, like, oh, it's just five of us or it's just immediate family. It's like, mm. well immediate family can get it why i don't under, that's what i don't get like i get the i get the right where they're looking at trump and they're they're ignoring the facts but then there's people on the left who maybe they're not overly political and maybe they're not like you know me political junkie on twitter all the time reading every article that comes out but i mean it's like how can they justify that i mean i think i feel like this country is really been through like we have, I don't know, we're entitled. We're, we're entitled mm. and we are selfish and we are willfully ignorant because we want to we wanna go to our summer vacation or whatever. I mean, that's the only thing I can come up with. I just yeah, don't you know, I, it. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I, no, no, I'm done. I think, you know, part of it is I, I've always had this feeling and I've been trying to kind of say it over and over again without figuring out the right words sometimes, but I think there's a softness to Americans that, that I think even Trump manipulates that he knows progressives will get upset and we'll tweet and we may go to an event like a protest, but he knows we can't sustain long periods of engagement or sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And I think he, so I think mm -hmm. even people on the left they're yeah. they're not prepared to actually do the hard work of having to give up um, ways of life to help people. And, you know, that's the thing I see people at the, at the store mm -hmm. and there's four people in the family and only two of them are wearing masks. And I, I just I just don't understand wow. the story they tell themselves about that. Yeah, I'm not going to get it, but I'm going to bring home these people who may get it, and then we live together. Mm -hmm. um, so there's you combine that with just intellectual laziness. You know, mm -hmm. people saying I'm saturated with bad news, so I'm going to refuse right. to believe it anymore. Yeah, that's exactly what I think. That is the point. People are not willing to do the work, and we've been spoiled for so long. I, you know, I, during this pandemic, I go back and I remember, like in my mind, I'm going back to times, and and every time I have like a, a thought of when I was in my 20s or in my 30s or whatever it was, I'm thinking like, boy. COVID was, was like, we had no idea. <laughs> I mean, there, there was <laughs> yeah. always a threat of a pandemic. I remember I actually used to sell janitorial supply uh, back in my old life. And one of the, um, we were actually told to use the fear of a possible pandemic to sell stuff. You know I mean? Like I would sell mm. to high schools. And so if we were talking to the custodian, we were, you know, really pushing that in, you know, in the gymnasium and all that stuff because, Oh, I can't remember. It wasn't SARS. It was, it was, it was something else that was going around at the time. And I just don't remember the name of it, but um, it, you know, I, it was like, we were really pushing. I, cause I think that was like a flesh eating thing. I don't, right. I don't know if you know what it is, but um <laughs> it was years ago, so I forgot. But I mean, that it was, was not like, Ebola. Or it wasn't I don't Ebola. Know I can't remember the name. Maybe I can't remember. But uh, it was around 2007, 2008 when it was out. So, um, but that's what we were using, you know. And I, and of course, we see these movies like Contagion and things like that, and and we're kind of living it now. And the funny thing is, my mother has just written a book, and she's getting ready to release it at the end of June about a global pandemic, which is like so. I she started writing it de the December before Trump got into office. So oh, it's yeah. just kind of crazy that she did that but anyway um it's so weird that you know here we are and we're we're experiencing this we're in a global pandemic and people are treating it like it isn't one and i and i keep going back to boy remember life when there was no global pandemic it was like it's <laughs> yeah. so amazing to think that we're dealing with this and it's so upsetting to see that so many are are willing to pretend it's not around just to satisfy their immediate comforts instead of thinking about the long term well, yeah, and they've been complaining for, you know, three months about restrictions and not realizing that, you know, m many smart people are saying, hey, the second wave is actually usually the worst than the first yeah. wave. And then you've got lawmakers who are saying, hey, we're not going to close back down no matter what. Yeah. And so you kind of think through that and you say, well, what does that mean? And does that mean 
we have large scale death that's even greater yeah. that we're going to press on through it. And I just, it's just for, again, for people who claim they're pro-life, many of them, it's just such a weird disconnect. And, um, you know, science fiction writers are going to be out of business because you no can't kidding. write anything stranger <laughs> than this. Are you getting, when you're posting that, when you're saying that you can't wish away a pandemic, are you getting pushback? Well, yeah, I mean, I am, I'm, I'm getting it mostly from people who, you know, don't usually read what I write and someone says, oh, look at this, you know, because most of those people have shut me off because I'm also fake news, which is the other sort of infuriating wrinkle. It's that we're now conditioned that anything that is unpleasant for us to read, that there must be some reason why it's not real. And and there's this idea that I'm going to chase the rabbit holes of conspiracy until I find something that makes me say, okay, there, I don't have to actually worry about this. And, you know, we've got it here in in North Carolina the sun's out, it's a beautiful day. And people say, well, that must mean there's no pandemic. And it's just, it's that simple. They just let themselves be emotionally, you know, um, lied to. Yeah. It's, I just can't even believe it. It just, it really blows my mind that this country has become what it's become. And obviously there have always been bigots, racists, and misogynists. I mean, it's not new, but, um, this rise of white supremacy, basically because, uh, I, you know, I, I, I put a lot of the responsibility in Trump's lap, but I also um, look at Vladimir Putin and, you know, he he's got his hands in all kinds of different, you know, elections yeah. and democracies all over the world. And he wants to be the big superpower dude. And white supremacy is a big thing in, you know, in Russia. And it's it's scary to see. I mean, embolden. I mean, oh, my God, you did. You did a wonderful YouTube video about the Karens. And I mean, I think that I think that the Karens are part of it because it's all these white women who are, you know, I mean, there was it's funny in Wikipedia. I think they have a thing that said that they, you know, explained what a Karen is like this woman who <laughs> is upset about everything and wants to see the manager. And then it says something like and she has a, a certain Bob haircut or, or, or has a Bob haircut. And I thought that was funny. But um you know, this this entitlement that we're seeing and the rise of white supremacy is extremely frightening because it's showing me that, uh, you know, when, when Trump was elected, or I'm going to say air quote elected, when he was installed. Installed, yes, yeah. Right. When he was installed. Um, and then we learn, I mean, Hillary had been warning us about Vladimir Putin. And I remember it. I remember watching the debates and she was saying about 17 different, you know, intelligence agencies talking about Russia interfering, but I hadn't put it together. I didn't really get it um, Mm. until after the election when it was tied to Trump. And, and I was like, Oh, and I mean, I lived in Soviet Russia when I was 12 years old. So I understand what it's like to live in a police state. And I remember when I did put it together, um, the, chilling like the fear that came over me because i realized how long would it take america because we're not going to go to a soviet kind of lifestyle we're not going to go to that kind of lifestyle but but we will most definitely if trump wins re-election um we will definitely go to like a russian style oligarchy and Mm -hmm. i think people in this country i mean so many of them are brainwashed and they're just completely ignorant of what's actually going on but even the ones who are paying attention even the liberals who are paying attention or in independence or sane conservatives i don't know that people really realize how quickly we can go from being what we we were used to as an american democracy to a russian style oligarchy i think it could happen within five years I don't think there's any question. I think if you, you know, for those of us who are paying attention every day, you just see the slow erosion of civil and human rights, and you see the consolidation of power. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the the evangelical church is part of that too, because for years, you know, the the conservative right, they the religious right, they were a marginalized, dying thing, you know, numbers wise. And then what they have in Trump now is this last power grab and they're making the most Mm, of it and i think that's where the karens are reached too it's a lot of people at my former churches i mean they're largely white mega churches in the south and i see hundreds of people a day who you just see the slow questioning of the news and you see it in the oh my gosh this is too much that we're dealing with with this pandemic i we have to be able to go out and live and it's in this subtle mindset that you see Trump's ideas taking hold and that's where the Putin influence of social media you know you just see that they're 
they're being told a story so many times that that story now is just, it's gospel truth to them. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, what did I, what's the thing? It's the, a thought that you have over and over and over again becomes a belief. And so that's basically what's happening. It's just the same, same repeated message becomes their belief system. And and then like you said, if, if, if there's something that counters that they just immediately throw the wall up and say fake news. Right. And they can connect to their own feelings of personal injustice. That's why you see those videos of people ranting at a you know, grocery store because that stuff's just latent. It's under the surface there. And now it's almost like those viral videos are giving people license to say, oh, my gosh, yes, I felt this way, this rage, this white, uh, you know, oppression rage. And now I'm just going to let it out. So I think it's actually perpetuating more Karens and, and more whatever the male version of that is. Right. And um, that's what's frightening. It's that they're even buying into the fact that they've been marginalized, even though they've had the greatest seat at the table for their whole lives. I'm kidding. Um, and then, well, I just thought it was funny. At the, <laughs> even though it's not funny, at the end of your Karen video, you're like, oh my, you just, I want to say to all the wonderful Karens out there that you understand, because you, you, you said your name is John. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 it's been likened to a toilet and what are the other things that that what are and a person who solicits prostitutes <laughs> and someone about to be broken up with via a letter you know and <laughs> ident- right. unidentified human being um so i yes, get it dear john that's right <laughs> um, and so that's you know and that's that's part of this you know there was some obviously pushback and i i get it that you don't want to you boil things down to this sort of stereotype yeah. but it's just a it's a way that we're kind of identifying this, yeah. this sense, this idea of this, this person. And, um, you know, there was a person on the, on the, on the blog and she said on the video and she said, I'm just so offended that you've done this to these people named Karen and her name was not Karen. And then, you know, a woman gets on and she's a woman of color. And she said, well, can you imagine being called the N word because of the color of your skin? So right. maybe she said, you're actually being a Karen by complaining and making this about the name Karen, right? <laughs> and not looking at the privilege yes. and the racism and the bigotry that we're trying to address here. And so, yeah, you just don't want to get distracted by that stuff. I mean, what the, what's, what's, maybe I sound naive, but, you know, I, I look at this whole white supremacy thing and I truly, I don't understand where it comes from. Why do white people feel superior because of the color of their skin? It's so stupid. It's like, if you have blue eyes, you're not better than someone who has green eyes or, or brown eyes. What, where does it come from? Yeah. Well, for me, it came from, you know, that idea that I, I talk about evangelical Christianity being built on the false premise that God is a white, cisgender, heterosexual, right. you know, man, white yeah. man who was born in America, raised Christian and votes Republican. And the idea that <laughs> yeah. there's this whiteness and God, and there's this, um, the synergy between those things that isn't real. You know, I have a friend, she's a, uh, a progressive Christian, but she was raised Southern Baptist and she starts, she has co- uh, coffee and lunch and plays cards every Sunday with a group of Trump supporters because she's trying to get to know their stories and understand them. And one day, one of the women said, they were talking about racial inequality, and she started to tear up. And my friend said, what's wrong? And she said, well, I just don't know why God made other races. And the woman was like, well, tell me more. And she said, well, if God hadn't made other races, we'd all get along. There would be no racism. And so you got this woman who's 60 years old, and she's grieving this racial unrest, but she's got this really bad story about why it exists. She thinks that whiteness is the norm and everything else is racism, race. Right. And so um, that's just a, kind of a window into a person who's got a good heart, but a bad story. Right. And so that bias is going to be in everything that you do. Wow. <sighs> you know, I'm constantly surprised. You th- I grew up in Los Angeles, California. I feel like I feel like I've seen it all. I mean, I spent nine months living in communist Russia and I I hear stories all the time that just blow my mind. And it's not to think that I thought I knew everything. But, you know, to hear that, it just I can't even get out. I was like I was talking to Frangela and, you know, uh, one of one of the ladies was on a job interview and and they're black. And and the the person, the man who was conducting the job interview asked um, the woman do you know who your father is? Because she was black. I mean, he didn't mention race, but that's what it was tied to. And, you know, as a white person, 
even though I understand that there are, uh, you know, there's racism and all kinds of stuff that I can't even, I, that never even would have occurred to me that that would be something someone would even think of to say. I can't even nice. think that, you know, and it's just, it's, it's so sad to me. I mean, as a white person who has all the privilege, the, the only thing that I'm not a white man, if I was, if I were a white cisgender man, I would probably like, there was this, um, poll that I took recently that great or like gave you a score of privilege out of a hundred and I scored 70. So, um, mm. you know, uh, the reason I didn't score a hundred was because, um, you know, I've experienced uh, gender discrimination or sexual harassment sure. or something like that. But, you know, reading over that list, it was, you know, you could just see qu questions were aimed at which group of people. Like if you were made fun of for particular pieces of clothing, like a hijab or if I'm saying that right. Um, and then, you know, you've also got consistency of hair or accent or um, religion or whatever it was. And it's like you know, through these questions, it was clear that unless you're just like this white person, especially a white man, a white cis straight man, um, you've been discriminated against. And I just, it, it just, I just will never for the life of me understand why people think white people are better. And you know, it's crazy because when I was in high school, um, my best friend was, she's Mexican. Her mom is Mexican. Her dad is white, but she had like, her skin was pretty dark and she, um, you know, and here I was white, constantly trying to get a tan, always wanting a tan. And all she ever said was like she wanted to be white. And I'm like, why? You have a tan all year. <laughs> you know, and it's like, I, I just don't, I really, I, I, I sound naive and I know it. But, and I'm not naive, but I, I still to this day do not understand. And like, that brings me, I want to ask you about, um, you know, the fact that despite the fact that SCOTUS has determined there's no more racism. Um, <laughs> how do you see us moving forward, whether it's racism or bigotry or um, misogyny or any of that? We, you know, you're talking, we're talking about COVID and how people are able to kind of ignore it and pretend that it's not mm. there. Well, it's the same thing. And, I, and I'm wondering what you're thinking about with these protests and what's happening right now. Um, and how it may, I mean, I, I want to talk about the misogyny and the bigotry, but let's first focus on the racism where, okay, we're seeing these protests and we're, we're you know, what I'm feeling and what I'm getting from what other people are feeling, there's this like, big change happening. And I don't know how far it's going to go, but where do you see it going? And then what do you think we need to do um, moving forward where we're not ignoring reality? Mm. Well, you know, part of this is it's interesting whenever I see someone denying the existence of COVID or uh, downplaying it, they're also doing that with police brutality and yeah. systemic racism and privilege. And so there is it's a lot of the same people that we're sort of addressing. And the way that I've been trying to go about it is which even with the writing, you know, we talked about earlier that there are religious people and non-religious people and they're coming to the writing and they're all saying, hey, there is enough here that we can gather in community. And I think that's what we need to do, whether it has to cut across religious and political affiliations and life stage. And we have to create sort of an alternative to what these people are living in, which is a real small version of life. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost it sounds trite, but you almost have to wake their imaginations up and have them see something. Mm -hmm. You know, seeing those protests was beautiful because it wasn't just all people of color. Right. And, it, and I think there's a power to having, you know, when I wrote a, a, my first blog post, it went viral. It was, you know, if I have LGBTQ children and I was speaking about, you know, how I would love my kids if they came out to me mm -hmm. and it wasn't anything revelatory and it wasn't novel. And people had been saying that for decades and people, LGBTQ people and allies had been saying it, but something about a white, white cisgender heterosexual megachurch pastor saying it gave it a different weight or gave me a different audience. Mm -hmm. And I think what has to happen now is people who are not in marginalized communities have to it has to cost you something to be an ally right now. So yeah, you've gone to a protest, but now will you engage the people in your family yeah. who are perpetuating racism? Will you, you know, will you risk your, your job or your place in the community? Because that's what it's going to take. And I think that's what I'm asking people who have the privilege that I have right now to say, all right, this has to be something. Um, Pastor Stan Mitchell, who's an LGBTQ ally, he said, you have to go from being an ally 
to a an accomplice. You have to, whoever hates these people has to hate you and it has to cost you something. Mm -hmm. And so that's, I think, what we do. We have to just get out there and be in community together to such a point that we're inseparable. Yeah, I mean, that that's absolutely what we have to do. And it's really going to, it's uncomfortable. You know, I mean, there there are situations and it's also, I mean, it's going to be hard because there's there are situations where like you could have a couple and maybe, you know, the you've got a man and a woman as a couple, you could have a gay couple, whatever, but you've got, let's just say to make the conversation easier, you've got a man and a woman. So they were, they're going over to the, to the woman's parents' house and mm-hmm. the woman's parents says something um, racially insensitive or even straight out racist. And then you've got the guy sitting there who is not a racist and uh, of the couple. And like, how does he deal with it? It's not his parents. It's not his place. And if the woman isn't ready or not feeling comfortable to speak out, you know, it's like, it's still going to be those uncomfortable situations. We're still going to be having to deal, you know, like for instance, I have a a relative, she's a, a magus person and she's never really said anything racist in front of me. She has in front of my mom and my mom has always said, don't talk like that in front of me. Um, Mm. so she kind of knows better than to say it in front of me. So, you know, I, I think she understands that if she were to say something racist and I don't think she's the kind of racist that, I mean, she's straight up racist. She's used the (laughs) N word. So I don't want to like, but, but you know, she's the kind of racist that if she meets black people that she likes, then they're okay. You know, and then that proves to her that she's not a racist because she has those black friends. (laughs) So, you know, but it's like that's what's going to be, I think, such a challenge is that we're going to have, you know, and and it's like I don't I would say something if she were to ever bring up, you know, a a racist thing. If she were ever, you know, I would say, please don't talk like that in front of me. I can't control how you're going to feel. But I can, yeah. you know, control if we're going to spend time together, if we're going to talk together, I-, I need you to respect the fact that I am not I don't feel that way. And it makes me uncomfortable if you talk like that. And I think that would be the best way to bring it up, because that way it's, um, you know, you're letting people know it's not that you respect what they think, but you respect that you can't control how they think. And um you know, and there are always going to be racist people, but I think the heart, you know, it's like you said, if, if somebody is willing to risk their job, that's a big if, you know, I mean, are, are we going to be willing to risk our livelihoods where we're putting food on the table for our families? And that's, right. what's, that's, what's really scary because, um, as much as we'd like to think that we're this progressive country, I don't think, I mean, yeah, there's portions of this country that are definitely very progressive, but then there's this huge lock on, on a, a lot of people out there who want to stubbornly hold on to these just uh, discriminatory and hurtful belief systems that make them feel superior. You know, I mean, that's right. And I, and I think that's why, you know, event based activism. It's very dangerous. It's very seductive because there's something intoxicating about being with a large group of people and making this emotional stand. And you do that. And that's great. But, you know, activism is a lifestyle. It's not an event. And, you know, we talk about injustice. We, I think we talk about systems and we talk about stories. And so we try to change the systems in the political arena, but the stories are really where a lot of this happens. And so we all have, you know, I told in that video, I said, we all, no one loves some Karens or we're aware of some in our periphery. Right, yeah. And so part of the, that happens around those dinner tables. It happens in the, you know, the difficult conversations where if someone is watching only Fox News, they're not going to get a dissenting opinion unless you provide it in that space that's really uncomfortable to yeah. provide it. And But that's our job. I mean, that's what being an ally or an, an activist right. is, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's just, I mean, do, do you think that what's happening right now is, is a turning point? I think it could be. You know, I think it's really about can we sustain – our attention on anything. And part of that is our nature to kind of move on to the next news cycle. And it's also by design from Trump, you know, get, give them something to, you know, I talk about to people a lot that we're grieving a lot right now and you never get to sit with grief. Normal grief is like someone you love dies. They die one time. You spend your whole life processing that one event. But we have this sort of daily grieving because you get up and if it's, you know, LGBTQ rights or it's racism or if it's healthcare, there's almost like a daily having to, I have to let go of that thing I was grieving yesterday and and give my attention to this. So it can be a turning point if we can figure out how to 
how to keep any sort of momentum going in a substantive way. Yeah, I, I certainly hope that we can because um, for obvious reasons. But, you know, it's just I think that we have definitely been able to at this point, you know, there are people I mean, at least let's just take it over a little bit to the police side um, where more white people. Uh, older white people mm-hmm. are recognizing that, and, and it's because of these protests specifically that yes, there is police brutality. Yes, that white police officers are killing, um, you know, unarmed men, black men who are no are not posing any kind of threat. And then so the marches and the protests come, and you know, or or happen. And then what we're seeing is is the the protesting of police brutality is bringing out police brutality. And so, you know, I mean, and I think that that in and of itself is causing some of these, you know, older white Americans who might've been not really paying attention or, you know, were initially the people who were saying, Oh, those people shouldn't be looting. Looting isn't the answer. And it's like, well, of course looting isn't the answer. But what are you supposed to do when you're being murdered and, and right. you know, those people are getting the kill the murderers are getting away with it? Where's your voice? Of course you you know, there was some woman holding up a sign that it said something along the lines of and I'm just gonna paraphrase, but it was like, you know, if if my son and she was a white woman, like if if, if you did this to keep my if you killed my white son, if you did this, of course I'd burn shit down. You know, yeah, something. yeah. So I mean, it's not to say that nobody's pro looting, you know, other than the looters. But it's like, <laughs> but but we understand that first of all, there were bad actors that were going out and looting to make it look like, uh, you know, whether it was black people or they they wanted they basically the white supremacists were trying to make black people look like the enemy or the thugs or whatever, and I, and right. that didn't work because eventually what wound up happening was the the it, it seemed like that I mean the police were still behaving badly but it, the protests were just peaceful, you know eventually it was just nothing but peaceful protests other than the cops going after them. Right. Yeah. I think that's that's what you found that. Once the once people said, okay, the the looting was a distraction. If you want a distraction so you don't have to deal with the issue, you'll accept it. So I would say to people as they were complaining about the looting, I'd say, okay, yeah, let's agree. It's not going to take us five seconds to agree that that's wrong. So can you you want to address why this is happening? You want to address the brutality, or do you want to just skip over it and you know clutch your pearls about the about a storefront Mm -hmm. that you know that storefront has already been replaced, but these dead people are not going to be brought back. You know that's the other part of this. It's like all the property will be replaced and fixed and you won't even know that it happened. But those holes in those people's lives who are people who love them, they're there forever, you know? And I think we've, you know, seen a sea change in some ways. You even look at the NFL, right? Because three, three years ago, two years ago, you know, Donald Trump had steered the narrative to this is an attack on the flag and the anthem and people bought it. Yeah. And then last week, you've got players correcting the president and on and fans and saying, no, this was never about the flag. And they're they're getting it now. So yeah. even I've never been more excited for an NFL season to start because I want to <laughs> see what happens. You know, when people when that anthem starts, yeah. um, there's going to be accountability for Trump in a way that I don't think he's dealt with. Yeah. Speaking about that, and you know, I mean, I just want to end this uh, conversation about the protesting thing. It's just that I, I hope that if nothing else, that we're able to um, ch- fix the police. You know, to, to to reallocate funds and to change the way that we police in this country mm-hmm. because it's obviously it's been there's white supremacy involved and it's toxic and it's awful and it's mili- it's there's all kinds of military that's militarized and all that. So it's like maybe part of this um the the black lives matter protests because ob- and black lives are the ones that experience the worst brutality um yeah so you know m- we may not get to well we're never going to get to perfect perfect race relations but we can get closer and maybe these protests will help how we police our country um but then the last thing i wanted to ask you about is you know moving in, in into this election season you know we're in this election season and we've got november hanging over our heads and all of us i think are worried because we know he's going to cheat we know russia's going to cheat we know the gop is going to cheat and so you know i look at it as joe biden is up against russia it's up against the gop it's up against trump trump you know trump publicans and whatever kinds of um dirty tricks and 
and whatever craziness they're going to do, how, how confident do you feel that we're going to be able to overcome all of that? I guess it varies depending on the hour, you yeah. know, but some, sometimes, you know, you see what's happened in the, these protests. And I just kept thinking to myself, I really hope all these people are registered to vote. Yeah. And I almost was like, you know, it would have been really crass to be out there with clipboards, but at some level you have to say, if these are people who are passionate enough to get out into the street right yeah. now, can we get them to the polls? Because I think whatever happens, we're going to need overwhelming numbers mm-hmm. to help us circumvent this. And that's where we need people to drop the petty bickering and the infighting. And we've got to say, this is a, an historic, this is a, a moment of urgency, mm-hmm. you know, because I tell people all the time, I was never outwardly political. I never talked about a political party in my writing and never named a politician until 2016, because I realized that there was a moment of, it's like a pivot point for us. And if Trump gets reelected, I mean, I don't think we can fathom what he will do. And yeah. so I just want people to understand that it's like, all other things can be worked on and every other divide can be bridged. But if you don't have the personal freedoms to live as a member of this country and which you will lose, then that this is all useless. Mm-hmm. So you, you make your stands at the polls together and then we work, then the adults work on things mm-hmm. together. Yeah, abs- that was so well said. And it's so true. I mean, yeah, I'm with you. It really depends on the hour. I mean, I, I truly believe that the American people will show up and we can, you know, we can point to every single election that's taken place since Donald Trump was installed that, you know, Americans and Democrats in particular are. And it's not just Democrats. I mean, I think there were Republicans who voted for Democrats in 2018. So we saw a historic mm-hmm. turnout, um, a, a general election style turnout in 2018. So that's promising. And, you know, we're seeing a lot more diversity in government because of it. And that's also promising. But this is going to be, you know, what I've always felt is that Vladimir Putin, you know, in 2016, um, he probably didn't think he was going to get his way. He probably thought that he was just going to cause chaos and, you know, and he could parlay that into a Hillary Clinton presidency. But then he wound up getting the keys to the White House. So once you have a taste and once you get that power, it's, it's different than somebody seeking that power or at least seeking to disrupt that power. Then they actually get that power. Getting them to give that up or making them give it up is a totally different game. And so I think that we're up against um, much more difficult whether, you know, uh, what, you know, whether it's cheating or disinformation or whatever it is, you know, I like to caution everybody. If you see video, I mean, sometimes I've wondered, you know, I mean, I, I'm not going to discount that there are, you know, the, the Karens out there or, or just, you know, we see these videos that are racist or whatever it is, people behaving badly. And I, and I wonder, you know, let's say 10 of them are legitimate. The 11th one is that fake? Is that something that, you know, Russia or the GOP or whoever, you know, somebody yeah. like Steve Bannon or um, some of these chaos agents want to throw in there to throw us all off? Because, like I said, 10 of them are legit, but then you have one that isn't. And then it causes this um, this kind of insecurity in the system and feeling like, oh, well, I can't trust anything and everybody's this and we're divided in each other's throats. I think we are really up against something we've never been up against before. So I don't know what's going to happen this election, but I just hope that enough of us, and I, I think I think that these protests are close enough to November that yeah. people aren't going to forget. And I think they do recognize that in order to get anything done, we need to get Trump out of office and, you know, obviously we need people in office, in the administration who are going to, you know, work on getting some really like, for instance, getting rid of chokeholds and things like that. We need to just start with basics. If we can start with basics, we can work our, our way, you know, toward the bigger things. Right. Because, you know, in, in any administration before this one, there was always tension, but there was always a sense of, hey, we're going to figure this out in large degree. Our history has been about figuring out how to find some sort of compromise, some sort of solution, and to a lesser or greater degree. But now what you have is this this dug in heels of Mm -hmm. people because they realize that Trump is so, you know, completely off the rails that they have to dig in their heels against him. But then the people with him say, we're invested in this. So Mm -hmm. I think if we could just get to a new season where there's a new group of people, I yeah. think you'd start to see everyone sort of 
come to their senses in some ways and go, oh, you know, you'd see the, the people being less horrible if it costs them politically. Yes, that's it. Um, it has to cost you just, them politically. And the other part about it is, you know, you were talking about there's like an emotional terrorism to, right now going on with this, with the bots and things, because mm -hmm. it does demoralize you and mm -hmm. it does get people discouraged. I did a gathering, a virtual gathering with a group of activists in uh, Huntsville, Alabama, and they started the conversation just being just completely disheartened. And some of that's because the way that social media artificially inflates bad news, mm -hmm. right? It just creates this, this perception about the world. And what, that's what I love about the protests because they were unmistakable. Those were real people. Yeah. Most of them, you know, like if they weren't bad actors, but they were, they were there because they were passionate and they yeah. desired to participate in America. And so sometimes I think we need to get off social media and get into the community where we yeah. live and say, okay, there's evidence of, of good stuff happening mm -hmm. and I can hold on to that. Yeah, well, one person, Stephanie, who who's my podcast partner, she she does that. You know, she gets involved, and she's always on you know the podcast talking about all the good. And I'm I'm always like the devil's advocate, who's just online right. and going everything sucks. But um, no, but <laughs> she she's seeing good, and it's like there is good in our communities, and there obviously there there is a lot of good. And if you get stuck on this watching MSM all the time, or constantly staying on Twitter, then what you're seeing often is just what's going to get the most clicks. And usually that's the most awful. Sometimes it's a lot of the good stuff. You can see, you know, positive yeah. things because people are hungry for that. Um, so when, when you see a, a post that's positive, um, then it's like, oh, it's so refreshing. But, you know, we're bombarded with negativity. We're bombarded with anger. And, and it's very difficult to maintain like a sense of just calm when you're watching it and so it is good to go out and and, and help people and and do what you can and, and especially being as safe as you can under these current circumstances with you know i saw this video and i hate to say this because it sounds awful but i appreciate it but it was i guess these two kids it was a white girl and a black girl and i guess they're like best friends and um it was like, oh, finally, you know, restrictions have been released and they can see each other again. And they go running and hugging each other to show that race is learned or, you know, or, or racism is learned. So that's, mm -hmm. that's beautiful. But I'm like, but COVID isn't gone. I mean, I, I get that kids need to have, you know, friends and exposure to each other, but we it, there's the second wave. And, uh, so I see that and it's like, oh, my God, we're in this really precarious situation right now. And I just hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to come up with some kind of whether it's a cure, uh, not a cure, but a, a, a vaccine or a some kind of thing that stops it from being as bad or horrible. You know, like I, I keep saying that I saw this woman who was a vaccine expert on MSNBC and she thinks what's going to happen is before we get a vaccine, we're likely to get something that's going to like just reduce the amount of time that you would have it or reduce yep. the symptoms that you would get. I'll take it. It's not good enough, but I'll take it, you know, because right now you just you're just rolling the dice. You're basically playing covid roulette. You don't know if you're going out there. Uh, you don't know what, what's going to happen. You could get it mild. You could, and mild isn't even mild from what we understand as mild. It's mild COVID. So, right. which means that you're not on a ventilator and you're not suffering some terrible, like, you know, blood vessel issue or getting a stroke or something. So, I don't know. But I, I, I do remain hopeful. And I will say that, you know, reading your posts. And, and, and watching your YouTubes. And I'm really so glad that you just started a YouTube channel because I've been getting into YouTube recently. So um, I've been watching your videos and I love, I just love your energy and your whole, um, I don't know, the, the way, like I said, you're like a calming force and you help keep me uh, feeling hopeful because I can definitely, my mom likes to call me the crack of doom. <laughs> and so you help me not feel so filled with doom. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And, you know, you, you talked about Kristen Johnson and people on Twitter and you, and, you know, I think you start to meet people and you connect with them and they, they tap into like the better part of you. And yeah. I think that's what, you know, there are days where I'm writing or filming those videos and I'm thinking I've got no hope left. And then I kind of look at other people and say, okay, what what do we need? What do I see out there? What's yeah. where's reason to keep going? And then you put that energy into perpetuating something that's gonna that's gonna be an encouragement for someone who may feel in a way that 
you, you don't even feel right now, right? Yeah. There may be someone right now who's saying, okay, I got this. And that's the beautiful part of community that some days you don't feel like you can do it and you let somebody else kind of take it for you while you rest. Because right. yes. this is just a long haul, right? And we're going to, you know, whatever happens in November, November 4th, we're going to wake up and we hope we get a different political reality. Yeah. But if we don't, you know, whether we do or we don't, the other realities are there, right? right? All this stuff is mm-hmm. still going to be there and we're still going to have to deal with it. So, you know, I always tell people the goal is not you expiring early. The goal is you sustaining this mm-hmm. and doing it in a healthy way. So we try to help one another. So yeah. I just try to do that. Well, you do it very well and I appreciate it. And a Thank lot of you. people out there appreciate it. So before you go, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you, especially your YouTube? Cause that's such a great, that's such a great channel. Thank you. Yeah. Well, once you can spell my name, it's great because then everything <laughs> is right there. So it's P-A-V-L-O-V-I-T-Z, Pavlovitz, and John Pavlovitz Official on YouTube and Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all that good stuff. And um, the blog is johnpavlovitz.com. So I'm just, you know, I'm encouraged because part of my story has been six years ago I was fired. And uh, then all of a sudden this community started to gather around the writing. And that's what it is. It's about me mm-hmm. setting the table for people to come together and just, you know, try to figure out how to do this better. So show up and be a part of it. Perfect. Well, what I'm going to do is I'll put the links to your writing, your Twitter and your YouTube in the Patreon description of the show. And thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for what you do. You're, you're so appreciated. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, keep up the great work. And hopefully it won't be another three years before we talk again, because yes. I think some <laughs> things are going to happen in the coming months. So let's get together soon. Yeah, let's definitely do it. All right. You take care, John. All right, be well. Bye-bye. He's so nice. I just like him so much. He 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 does he does have that kind of calming um energy and I just appre- I appreciate people like him. Um they help me, you know, as as we move forward every single day and I mean, I tell you every night when I what did I call it with Stephanie? My after dinner Twitter. Uh, my after dinner Twitter usually goes into this whole thing of like, you know, I'm looking around. I've been on Twitter all day anyway. I mean, you know, off and on. But I've been on Twitter all day. I've been watching the news. I've been watching what's going on and I'm just disgusted and I'm in it and I'm fighting and I'm this and I'm that. And then it kind of hits me and I'm thinking, oh, my God, we have the craziest, most malevolent president in the history of ever. And we're in the middle of a global pandemic that so many people are acting like isn't even a threat. Um, and I just never thought I would live to see any of this. And I think so many of us are in the same boat. So somebody like John is really like, he's just like a, a big dose of, of like penicillin making, you know, f- feeling better. You know, every time I see his tweets and it was so funny because I don't know when this was maybe like a month, several months ago, he tweeted something. And I replied, and I said, fuck. <laughs> and I can't remember what it was, but it, the way he reacted, I thought, oh, no. I just completely, um, you know, freaked him out, or I, I offended him because I used profanity. And I, I, I addressed it, and he laughed, and he's like, no, I don't care. So he, he's sweet, and he won't be profane on my show. Obviously, you know, I'm profane all the time. But I, I, thought, I, I thought I killed our relationship by saying fuck. <laughs> it was just funny. He's way too cool to worry about that. So I'm glad that I got to talk to him. And um, I have, you know what? I don't have anybody scheduled for Wednesday, so I'm going to have to figure that out. And I want to put this out there. Um, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with the um, week before July 4th. I'm not sure because I think it starts on the 29th of June. Yeah, it does. It starts on the 29th of June. And I am going to, um, I think I want to take that week off, but I'm not exactly sure how that's going to be. So, um, you know, I'm just letting you know in advance that that might be something that I do, or I might just take that week off for writing. So I'm not sure. I'm just going to figure it out. But I know that I need a break because um, everything's just so crazy. And, you know, we need a break every once in a while. So I got to figure out who I'm bringing in on Monday. I'm sorry, on Wednesday. And then um, let's see, that would be which day? That's going to be the 17th of June. 
and we'll see what happens. I don't know. There's a couple people that I might invite, but we'll see. <laughs> anyway, I'm just being a dork right now. So don't forget to follow me on, if you're not already following me on Twitter at author Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. Um, also, you can buy my books on Amazon. Peyton's Choice is the number one seller. And that is a book about a teenage girl who chooses to have an abortion. And oh my God, it's just so controversial. Uh, it's written for young adults, but as I've said on the show before, it's a it's loosely based on me. I never had an abortion, but you know I took the background of a portion of my teenage years when I lived in Torrance, California, uh, and you know it was a beach town, and I I just basically set the story. And I ha- at the time I had a group of friends, girlfriends, three girlfriends. So and like one of the things we used to do that I put in the book is every Sunday my girlfriend would pick all of us up in her '57 Chevy. Um, truck and we would go have breakfast and the rule was we weren't allowed to wear makeup so I incorporated that in my book and I incorporated a couple of real life experiences but the gist of it is you know this girl who's Peyton who's named Peyton she meets this guy and of course his name is Brad and they have they fall in love they have sex and she gets pregnant and then she decides to have an abortion and that's not even the whole story so I hope you'll check it out or one of my many other books American Woman or The Virgin Diaries or Ain't No Sunshine Men Reveal the Pain of Heartbreak and again that's Kimberly A. Johnson on Amazon thank you for listening and we'll see you Wednesday Wednesday